when we started looking at how our competitors were working and, and critically tearing apart their strategy and rebuilding it to how we think it would be better, we achieved, I think it was just under 3,000% growth in 12 months in our business by looking at that. And I don't think it was a coincidence because it all started to peak as we were looking at their strategy and re-implementing their strategy just with a lot more finer tuning and, and making it better. So, you know, it's looking at things very differently to other entrepreneurs that maybe go, oh, I'm, I want to be... I want to mimic this company. It's like, no, we're going to look at them, look at their mistakes, tear their strategy apart, rebuild it and make it even better. Hi, and welcome to The Passion PT. I'm Dan Brophy, a creative wellness coach and motivational speaker. I'm here to break down creative process into simple techniques that you can use to develop your creative practice and achieve your goals faster. The Passion PTMO is that every single person is creative, and by developing and enhancing your creativity, you can improve how you work each day, nurture a hobby or side hustle, or even use creative play as a wellness technique. So join me as I share inspiration and thought starters to enhance your focus and develop your process a little bit more each day to achieve your best possible output. So picture this. You're good at your job, but you know that you're not happy. What if on the other side of that crisis lay a connection to passion and purpose? Well, that was the case for my guest, Andy Mant, the founder and CEO of Blue Blocks, the light-blocking eyewear that improves sleep, affects your mood, and combats digital eye strain. Andy was an absolute goldmine of wisdom and inspiration. Some of the topics that we discussed on this episode are discovering what it is that you're passionate about, bridging the gap between your day job and your side hustle, the macro and micro shifts that you can take to transform your focus and productivity, many of which are things that you can start doing tomorrow. For more on Blue Blocks, go to www.blublox.com. And as per usual, check out my Instagram page at Dan Brophy for excerpts from this conversation and highlights from all my previous conversations. And don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes so that other people can find us and share this episode if you find it inspiring with someone else. Please enjoy my chat, I know I did, with Andy Mant, the founder and CEO of Blue Blocks. So... Andy, man, thank you so much for having a chat. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a real honor to be able to speak to you about my journey. Yeah, well, I, I was really excited. To, I mean, you know, um, I have a feeling that this episode will go to air directly after my chat with Nick and Melissa. Nick Broadhurst and Melissa Ambrosini. And, and, I, and I feel like, you know, I'm very blessed to see anyone who's going to, you know, be coming to their orbit and then I get to meet through them. So that's pretty exciting. But I, I'd like to ask people when I speak to them, when someone says, hey, what do you do? What do you tell them? Yeah, well, it, um, it, it changed recently because, um, you know, we were in that sort of nine to five work, um, you know, until not, not so long ago. So it was always a very sort of dull question. And one we actually, you know, spoke about, Katie and I, um, a, a lot about, you know, that's the first thing that sort of people ask, what do you do? Um, and we sort of thought, you know, this is what defines your first sort of interaction and, and thought process and, and sort of intuition on, on, a, on a specific person. Um, and it was always hard to say because we were just like, well, we're in recruitment at the time, which was 
you know, for us, not exciting, not stimulating, yet people would be judging us or forming an opinion based on what we told them. Um, and it's so much more fun now to be able to say we're entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we're, we're the CEO and creative director of our own brand. And, um, you know, then people find that so much more interesting and the conversation gets so much deeper, I think, when, when we sort of say that's what we do. Um, whereas before it just... It didn't. It was just very much like, oh, brilliant, you're in recruitment, fantastic. Like, you know, weather's good today, something like that would would then follow. So that is typically uh, what we say now. We're entrepreneurs and CEOs and directors of our own company. Isn't it funny because if you were, I mean, when you were in the recruitment game and you would estimate that people are making, their first impression is, is based on the idea of this job, it's harder to then follow it up with, oh, but I'm also interested in and I'm really passionate about and I have a deep love for because people just want the bite-size you know, dose. But when you say something like entrepreneur, people are interested in the fact that or it almost is really it's quite efficient and that instantly it suggests that you're uh, passionate about what you do, yes. that you've gone out on a, on a limb in order to do it, yep. that you are driven, that you are have a you know, business prowess, that you've got all these things yeah. about you. Just that nice little tidy word is able to gauge so much. I, I'm looking, oh, I've, I have in front of me your product, yep, <laughs> uh, which is based around eyewear. Correct, yes. And from what I understand, we're very susceptible to light. Correct. And yes. the glasses that you make, Blue Box, transform the way people are experience light in the day-to-day. Yes. And I'm particularly... In- I, I, I sp- you offered me the chance to put on the pair before we started chatting. And I thought I would wait until we were chatting because it would be interesting to, to um, give my response in real time. Absolutely, yeah. But I, I would find this particularly useful, I think, because I remember growing up in a household which had terrible light in it. And it was a really dim house and it was full of halogen. I actually grew up in a retirement home. Oh, wow. <laughs> my, my parents are, own aged care facilities. Yeah. And... For me, my memory of it, more than anything, is long hallways, halogen lighting, dark spaces, and all of the associations of boredom and frustration that I have as a five-year-old in that space is always associated with the light. Yeah. And I know full well as someone who was working in the film industry for the longest time that you know people's emotional experience is so related to light yep. that it's extraordinary that, we, that this is not a more commonly held discussion, yeah. except... From an interior design perspective, not <laughs> not in terms of like a how you walk through the world every day perspective. Yes, um, I'm going to put them on, but it, why don't you tell me about the origins of this? Yeah, concept? absolutely. So you know we've got to we've got to realise that everything on this planet has been shaped by light. It's been shaped by the sun for for millions or billions of years. Um, and what we've done recently is we've changed how we live around light. We have basically grown in fear of the sun so we we don't go outside as much and if we do we cover up or we wear sunscreen wear sunglasses and then we come inside and we sit and work under artificial light now when you look at the peer-reviewed studies and academic literature behind light it's very clear that in all animals including humans it governs our health and hormones so it can regulate your your hormones um, by specific frequencies of light that are hitting your eyes and skin at specific times of the day Um, So what we've done is we have moved away from the source of light that we've evolved under and we've gone under 
artificially produced light, which is completely different in, I guess, the colours of light, both visible and invisible, that are coming out of, of say, halogen lights, your, your computer, your smartphone, your, your car headlights, etc. And what that's doing is it's throwing us into this massive hormone disruption. So it's leading to increases in anxiety, depression, um, heightened stress levels, but it can also disrupt your sleep, which is why I'm wearing these red glasses right now. Um, because what light does is it tells us, we've got something called a circadian rhythm, okay, which is a bo- like a body clock. Um, and light sets the time in your um, internal body clock. Um, and it's those light cues from the sun that tell you like, oh, it's, it's, it's daytime to keep cortisol levels high, to not, you know, not be sleepy, be awake. But when we go after sunset and turn on artificial lights or look at our phone, that's sending the same message to the brain that it's daytime and that we don't need to sleep. So that's why I'm wearing my red glasses right now because it blocks the frequencies of light that tell my brain that it's daytime and to be alert and awake. Um, And it will basically help me release melatonin, reduce cortisol, feel relaxed and actually have a really good sleep and keep my hormones balanced. So the red, I'm going to pop on the red now. The red glasses that you're wearing, is that something that you would specifically wear because it's late in the day? I mean, it's, we're now chatting at 7.30, 8pm. Yes. Uh, would you wear a different colour lens for a different time of day? Absolutely, yeah. So we need to manage light differently throughout the day. So after, after sunset, um, you need to be blocking a specific range of light, okay? So in technical terms, you need to be blocking between 400 and 550 nanometers in the spectrum, which is all the blue spectrum and most of the green spectrum. So if you saw something blue in here, it would now appear sort of black or, or a green type mm, color. Yeah. Um, and that's the needs of our body and our hormones after sunset is to only have, you know, a little bit of green light, a lot of yellow, oranges and reds light. Think of a campfire. Think of our ancestors around a campfire. It's all oranges, yellows, reds. And these frequencies of light don't disrupt your sleep hormones um, and they keep your stress hormones low. So they're perfect for, for after sunset. But during the day, we need some blue light. Okay, So we need that blue light to feel alert and awake, um, release neurotransmitters like dopamine to f- make us feel good and happy, to produce serotonin, which is later used in the day in the absence of blue and green light to create melatonin. So the problem with artificial light during the day is that there's too much blue light present in it. So we wear different colored lenses, um, so clear and yellow lenses, depending on how sensitive you are to blue light, to reduce down the blue light a little bit. So you're not getting too much blue light. So what happens with blue light, whether it's from the sun or whether it's from artificial sources, it damages the cells in the eyes, okay? So yes, it makes you feel alert and awake, but the double-edged sword of it all is that it can damage your eyes. So say, for instance, you're using a computer for, you were saying your friend earlier uses a computer sometimes for 12 hours a day. Yeah, at least. I, I bet after that he gets very dry, sore eyes, maybe watery eyes, maybe tension, headaches, maybe he's quite wired. It's because mm. he's OD'd on blue light. He needs to filter that blue light down. Now, where the sun differs, okay, from artificial sources is in artificial light. So, you know, the light up there, the light here, the light from our phones, like all these different sources in the room. Um, it's only blue and green that's really present in it. The sun has a lot of red light in it, and red light is a very restorative color of light. So any damage that the sun causes in terms of the blue light damaging cells in your eyes, the red light that's present in that sun will then repair that damage. So what we're finding is we're seeing incidences of people develop short-sightedness quicker, um, get digital eye strain, leading to macular degeneration because they're not getting enough restorative red light from the sun um, to repair the damage 
that working on a computer all day or sitting under artificial blue light is causing to their eyes. So they're ODing on blue light in essence. How did you, so I've got the red on now and I, I mean, over the course of the day, would you always have some, a different lens on? Would you sort of, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, have some form of coloured lens? Yeah, it's, to context that, it would depend if there was artificial light present. Okay. I'm, I'm very fortunate, and, and so is Katie, that we can work outside so we don't have to wear blue light glasses. We can work like, you know, in a, obviously we're all in Australia, so we get a lot of good sunny days. So we don't necessarily have to have the lights on in our house a lot of the time. We sit by a window, mm. so we get a lot of the restorative red light from the sun coming through. So we don't typically have to wear the glasses ourselves, but you know, 90%, if not more, of the population will work in an artificially lit environment during the day, so they will need some sort of eye protection. So whether you work in an office or in a hospital um, or, you know, maybe um, maybe you're working at home but your home isn't very naturally well lit, it's artificially lit, then you need to take the protection. But it's also important to caveat as well that even with the glasses, the sun is so, so important, so you need to be getting regular sun breaks as well to allow your you know, the correct frequencies of light, both visible and invisible, to allow your body to tell the time of the day it is and secrete the correct hormones. Yeah, it's so important because, I, I mean, I have done the corporate thing before I, I mean, this podcast is called Quit Your Day Job because it was conceived yeah. at a point in which I was in the, the in that corporate tinted windows, beige cube oh. wa- uh, cubicles, yeah. beige felted wall cubicles. And the lack of, even the way in which it's, you're facilitated in never leaving the building in terms of having whatever you need in the one building. Yeah. So the idea of going outside and walking around the block is so rare and difficult and yeah. there are so many systems in place to make sure you never leave mm-hmm. that um, it's really easy to not do that. So you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to find out your journey to your solopreneur journey, but just on that note before I forget, mm. for someone who is, because at the moment you said tension headaches and straining I was a little alarm bell went off in my mind because my biggest, the thing that curbs my workflow most is some form of headache, which means I just hit a wall and go, I I can't do it anymore. And everything I do is screen related because it's all digital production and social media marketing and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, would, would you recommend wearing a lens or possibly two different lenses at two different times of day, at different times of day to then sort of take the edge off what the, the screen's doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important. I think that you need, um, you know, there's two types of lenses for during the day. You've got yellow or clear, okay? So clear lenses are like um, computer glasses. So they filter mm. down a, a little bit of the blue light, which and it doesn't distort color too much. Mm. So people that are in, say, graphic design, editing photos, a, a creative type job, mm. would do better wearing a pair of sort of blue light glasses like that. And, and that's why we created a, a clear lens that's specifically focused on reducing down some of the blue light so people could but allowing people to still see color but some people are sensitive to to blue light and during the day they'll be the kind of people that maybe suffer from migraines um, maybe get more headaches than normal um, or maybe they they have you know borderline or already moving into to anxiety and depression um, type symptoms um, and these are all diseases that can be intensified by light. You know, I'm not saying that they're caused by light, but they can be intensified by light. Um, so that, so we've got these yellow lenses that are um, more powerful, so they take up more of the blue light because we want to be dropping the cortisol levels down in those people because 
too much cortisol heightened stress if, if you have too much of that going on you're going to be more pent up more anxious so we want to reduce that down a little bit more but having said that um, my wife and I we don't suffer from anxiety but if we're on the computer for a long period of time we typically will wear the yellow glasses as well we call them summer glow because they make everything appear so bright keeps you happy but it takes out a lot of the blue um, so we will wear those ourselves as, as well just for that extra sort of added protection um, and where Summer Glow is so interesting is we were the first company that actually infused colour therapy into blue light blocking. So we put in this like really special tint that makes everything appear like a, a summer's day, and it's it's unbelievable. And the amount of people that have you know had symptoms of, of you know, seasonal affective disorder, especially in the northern hemisphere, they're going into their winter now and, and stress and anxiety, have worn these glasses, and, and people are, are sort of now hashtagging them as happy glasses you know on online and it's just so nice because it just gives them that boost of of good energy and good mood to be able to you know focus on their day and curb those anxiety and, and depressive feelings how did you get into this in the first place and, and at, at what stage were you able to no longer say oh, i'm in recruitment yeah. into i am an entrepreneur yeah so i guess my my actually i'll, I'll start from when I sort of had the eureka moment of yeah that's ro- that's important i love that yeah. idea it's the dark usually it's the it's the um full stop on a dark night of the soul usually yeah. there's some <laughs> downward spiral that's led you mm-hmm. to kind of you know get little yep. taps on the backside from the universe that maybe this time you to go that. for a little yep. while and then the, ta- the the taps become shoves or nudges and the nudges become shoves and then eventually you're yep. hit in the back of the head with a sledgehammer and you're like wait a minute i think i'm i think i'm gonna get out of here it's exactly how it panned out. So I'm going to tell you how. So um, about two and a half years ago, so actually maybe even three years ago now, like I was in recruitment and I was very, very good at my job. I moved up very quickly. I was managing some big like client accounts, had people working for me, and I was very good at what I did. But it got to a point where this was probably about 10 or 11 years into recruitment. And I just thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. Can I see myself doing this in 40 years time or even 20 years time or even 10 years time? And I thought to myself, no, and, and I, will, I would just go insane if I, I stayed doing this. It was the same thing all, all the time. I'd reached my peak. I was doing really well. And I was like, what, what is there that's going to be next? Is it going to be a promotion, which will mean more work, which will mean more money, which will mean less time I get to spend with my wife and, and my dog and doing the things I actually enjoy? And I started to look at people in the company that were above me in their roles. And I was looking at their lifestyles and looked how sad they looked and, and unhealthy and overweight. And it really struck my struck home because I was just like, is this my pathway? And I kind of saw it as, as this, is this my future? It's really and the ghost of Christmas future, isn't it? it when you is. look at the seniors yeah. and, you, and in a way we're expected to model ourselves on our peers and the people who are doing you know who are a bit further along the line than us and it's quite daunting yeah. when you look ahead and you're like as a matter of fact that's my nightmare I don't want to look anything like how their lives look yeah absolutely and as a result of that I came a little bit sort of disruptive in in the workplace so not like in a in a really bad way just kind of like I can do what I want like I'm at the top of my career I can do what I want I don't really want to move up like you know a bit of a crisis like I'm happy just to stay where I am I don't want to move up I'm too scared I don't want to move down because I don't want less money but I've got nothing else to do and that that sort of carried on for two or three months and 
I suddenly thought to myself, we, we have an employee assistance program with, with the old work that I worked with, because in recruitment you've got to make sure you know, everyone that's working for you is, is happy and if they've got any issues they can go and speak. And it was all anonymous. So I thought to myself, you know what? It's open to me. I'm going to go and see a psychiatrist and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to tell them how I'm feeling and just see what their advice is. And I sat down and, and we did this, this test on the first sort of meeting where you had to like fill out there was like random questions like how would you act, how would you react in this situation how do you feel about this sort of situation etc and it went on about 20 minutes so I filled this this sheet out we had a good chat um, didn't really get to the bottom of anything but she was like right come back in a week and I'll, I'll show you the test results and then we'll talk a little bit more about what that means um, so anyway I went away and we came back I came back sorry and she sat down and she said got your test results. I don't see this very often, maybe once every 10 years, these results. And it's like sort of the 0.001% of people that will get these results. And it was like, you cannot succeed and you are not a right fit for a corporate environment. You need to start your own company. You, are, you have the personality of a CEO, an entrepreneur, and if you don't start your own company, you're going to regret it. And I was just like, wow. So anyway, we got talking. She was just like, yeah, you're, you're being disrupted because the institution that you're working in is not tailored to your personality, your aspirations and drive. And it's almost like that organization and any other organization will just hold you back. You need to be the creative one out there creating your own business and, and driving your own outcomes. So I had to think about this because I'd never thought about doing it. And it was actually after we got married, Katie and I, in, in sort of June 2017 and I got back we got back from that and we were talking about it on our honeymoon about thinking about a company and I was thinking to myself who do I admire the most and you know looking at past entrepreneurs there was sort of two categories there was the entrepreneur that would come up with this amazing idea like Uber or um, you know Amazon something like that that were kind of these like brand new radical ideas that no one else had really done before and turning the industry on, on their head and there was another side that was like the James Dysons of this world that took a product that had been around for, for years and years and thought, how can I improve this? And I thought, who do I, um, who do I sort of resonate with the most? And it was more the Dyson side of things. James Dyson is, is a, a hugely talented guy that took, a, took the Hoover and turned it into like something so much better. So I was, I was just thinking, I was like, I've got to think of an idea and I've got to improve it and make it better. And a couple of months passed and I had no idea. I was just like, just looking around me thinking like, could I improve that? Could I improve this? And then I was always really into nutrition and there was a guy that I followed on, on Facebook and he posted this picture that he was up after sunset studying, um, writing an, an academic journal and he had these ugly, horrible-looking safety goggles on that were amber-tinted, and he was saying, I'm up late at night protecting my circadian rhythms with these bug glasses, and it hit me. I was like, I can improve that. So I, I started Googling stylish blue light blocking glasses. Nothing came up. They were just hideous, horrible things. There was maybe one or two brands that maybe offered one style that looked okay. Um, so I researched into them, bought their products, and I wanted to take it one step further. I was like, you know, just providing stylish blue light glasses that can help you manage your, your sleep and your hormones um, and, and, you know, curb anxiety and help digital eye strain wasn't enough. Like, I wanted to test the glasses that were out there 
to make sure what they were blocking and reducing in terms of the light was in fact what was in the academic literature. So I read tons of studies and came to the conclusion that I needed to filter down blue light during the day. For people with anxiety, I needed to block specific frequencies of blue light. And after dark, I needed to block everything from 400 to 550 nanometers, which is all the blue and some green, like we mentioned earlier. So I was fortunate enough that um, I knew some people in a, in a lab here in, in Australia. And I took some of these glasses in, the stylish ones, and I said, can you test these with your spectrometer and just tell me what frequencies of light these are blocking? And then we ordered some more from Amazon and eBay, $20, cheapy pairs, ran them all through the spectrometer. It's about 20 pairs. Every single one was not blocking in line with what the academic literature was saying. And it was at that moment I knew that if I could get this, these guys in this lab to create specific tints based on the metrics I gave them, I want a tint to block this, I want a tint to reduce this, and I could find a supplier that could find me incredibly stylish frames, then this would be the company that would be the James Dyson of, of the, the blue light blocking glasses world. Um, and we partnered with a supplier for frames here in Australia who had hundreds and hundreds of different frames. We, we got them and then you know a few weeks passed and we got some samples and, and test results for the tints. Um, and we found that it was just, it all matched. They could get, I could get these frames sent directly to this lab. They could put my lenses in. And because I knew them um, sort of fairly well in this lab, they didn't charge me for 30 days for anything that I ordered. So my competitors that, again, didn't have stylish pairs and didn't have the right lens technology had to order their glasses from China and they have minimum order quantities from China. So they were ordering, say, 300 of one style yet I could launch four or five styles on my website and not have to stock any. I would just put a caveat in that they're two or three days to make them, then we'll ship them to you. So I, in essence, buying the blue light glasses from our competitors, setting up a website um, and you know, setting up a little bit of like social media retargeting at the beginning and we'll, um, spec, you know, what do they call it, sort of... Um, getting new traffic to the website. Anyway, that kind of, I'm not that technical with these things. Um, it was about $1,500 to set this thing up, um, and it's now a, a multi-million dollar company um, within two years. So it was just incredible that, that moment that led to it, but also finding that product and being like, wow, we can get this on the hands of all the leading sort of health and sleep and wellness people in the world and show them the science behind this and show them what they have been wearing is wrong we are going to be huge. And we did that. We started sending them to influencers and just saying, please, can you just try them? And here's the science. Here's all the peer-reviewed studies. Have a read of this. And this is the reason why what you're wearing is doing nothing for you, but what we've created is doing something for you. And every single person that we sent them to, were li literally one night they were on the phone, like one night of wearing these glasses, they were just like, this is incredible. We want to help you grow. And what do they say that they, what do they report having experienced by wearing them? Just a, a, a difference of their energy levels? They, f yeah. So they felt that, I'm, I'm really only talking about the sleep sort of glasses at the moment, because oh, yeah. that's really our signature one, and the ones that we originally sent out. And, and those are the ones that people would wear in the lead up to going to bed? Correct. Okay. Yeah, the ones we're wearing now. Oh, um, these are the yeah, these bed. are the sleep glasses. Um, so you wear them sort of after sunset until you want to go to bed, but you won't be able to survive anymore. In about three hours, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be out like a light. Um, so they were, they were saying things like, that that their other blue blockers sort of you know help them sleep a little bit but they'd never experienced such deep sleep from wearing our glasses 
They said that their sleep latency, which is the speed to fall asleep, improved after one night. They woke up with so much more energy and earlier in the morning, which was fantastic, which means that they are correcting your circadian rhythm, which means you're getting extremely healthy within one sort of use of these glasses. And they also said that they were that strong as well, that they put them to sleep so much quicker as well. So they didn't have to wear them. They'd have to wear our competitor's glasses for, say, five or six hours, where they, they could wear ours anywhere between one and three hours before they wanted to go to bed. And what they also found was some of the more powerful blue light glasses that were marketed for sleep blocked too much light, which meant that no one could watch TV, no one could actually cook, because they could all they could see was red. It was like Terminator glasses. So, so uh, ask about that. So you could, I mean, I can see my computer from here, and yeah. I can see it pretty, really clearly. Is it about, so you can still, you know, you can still read a Kindle, you could still yeah. use your iPad, you could do all the regular things, it's just that you're not going to be stimulated by it in the same exactly way. Exactly that, yeah. Mm. So it's almost, you're, you're removing all the stimulating frequencies of light that are going to keep you alert and awake mm. for long periods. Yeah, it makes sense because if people can suffer s- seasonal immune deficiency syndrome and, and if you can stimulate someone through you know, a light that would gradually come on in order to wake you up in the morning. You know, we, we yeah. are so familiar with how it works in, in the reverse as a stimulant, <laughs> yep. like most things in life, I suppose. <laughs> but then the idea of not giving the respect to what that stimulant's doing when you don't need the stimulant, when you actually yes. need the opposite of that. Um, I can think of so many, a couple of people that I would be really interested to give this to who suffer from sleep problems. This yeah. is, that's so interesting. I wanted to know about your... Taking the leap, because I think the biggest problem that a lot of people have when they are in that job that they yeah. are frustrated by, and I mean, the interesting thing you said, you were really good at it, and I think that's another thing that's really, in, that's really mm. challenging for some people when they're good at the job that, that is keeping them miserable, when yeah. they're getting a great income from it, because, you know, it sounds like you're the perfect example of someone who took the leap and it was really worth the risk, but the problem with some people's fear of taking the leap in the first place is um, fear of not having enough money, fear of not being able to pay your children's school fees, fear yeah. of letting your partner down, fear of not being able to go on that fabulous holiday that you're looking forward to. And more often than not, I notice that when we make a deal with ourselves in the middle of a job that we hate, mm. when we're dissatisfied but ultimately getting a decent income from it, the trade-off is, well, I'll buy myself these nice things in order to make up for how unhappy I am. Yep. And, you know, you're from the UK, I imagine. I lived in London yes. for a couple of years, and I just noticed that there was, I was surrounded by people who could barely afford to pay their rent but could easily get smashed on three-pound pints and yep. you know, yep. five-pound pills <laughs> every weekend in order to take the, the edge off just how hard the day-to-day grind was. Yeah. London's a really gnarly example of, you know, how you can compromise your happiness in exchange for an income and, you know, modes so of distraction. Um, when, what were your, um, how did you know you were self-destructing and dissatisfied? Were you spending, were you, you know, getting really booze on the weekend? You know, what were the telltale signs that, that you needed to find the solution? Yeah, I think it was like, um, it's, it's funny you should mention it. It's, it's always, I think, evident in a lot of people that uh, are in these, you know, high paying sort of inverted commas fantastic jobs that they do supplement being in these jobs and earning mega bucks with buying material things to make them feel better because they don't have the time to 
go for three hour walks. They don't have time to go to the gym or do yoga or meditate and things like that. So they reach for these material things. And I was doing that. And it was getting to a point where, you know, just sort of pop out in the middle of the day just to look around shops and buy stuff just to give me that little, like, little boost, you know. Um, but I was, I was just, you know, people were saying to me, like my bosses, that, you know, my personality was sort of shifting a little bit and I was sort of, they'd noticed changes in me as well. So, and, and I kind of feel like I was consciously doing it anyway. I kind of knew I was being disruptive and I knew that, you know, I wasn't happy in my job and it wasn't really a, a subconscious thing. I, I kind of feel like it was some, a choice I made. I, I was just so done with it. I was just, you know, oh, let's just mess around and not bother and, you know, snap at people if I needed to and just be generally just miserable and not pleasant to work with. And, like, maybe it was, I mean, by this time, um, you know, I'd, I'd been in recruitment so long anyway that, you know, I just felt to myself, well, I'm that good at what I'm doing if they get rid of me, I'll just go and join a competitor and I've got all this intel and they'll snap me up and I'm making them so much money, I can do what I want. It doesn't really matter. So it's more of a, a cycle of sort of petulance, really, just that I got into um, and really not caring for it. And, you know, it was very much relayed to me with, with the psych that I saw that said that, you know, you're reacting like this. It's not your fault to react like this. It's just the institution and company and nine to five work is is not for you and you need to get out of there or you're going to make yourself sick or get fired or upset a lot of people so um i think it's you know it's very interesting you mentioned as well that everyone is scared to get out of that cycle they've got a good paying job they're making a lot of money and they think like well how can i keep this lifestyle i think it's the wrong way to look at things i think you've got to look at basically sitting down and and looking at what's the worst that can happen okay so you quit your job what's the worst that's going to happen you you try your own company for six months you're if you're that good at the job that you quit leave on good terms and go straight back into it if you don't want to go back into that nine to five work and your company doesn't work you can pay the mortgage for a few months while still looking at your company by doing some shifts working in a bar working in um working as a waiter or waitress but what a lot of people don't they where they don't stop to sort of look at the worst case scenario they immediately default to oh I'll lose my home the kids can't go to school we'll be homeless and when you actually look at it and peel back the layers that's not going to happen you know it might happen one in a million times like the worst case scenario for ourselves quitting our jobs was that you know I mean we did it slightly differently and I'll explain to you why sort of shortly but um, you know the worst case scenario for us was we break even on the company for two years we'd pay ourselves salary out of what we've got saved in the company and we would be, you know, great, two years, fantastic, let's go and do something else. Um, that's the complete worst case scenario. But we did it slightly differently. So I wanted to create an exit strategy. Within about six months of starting the company, I saw that it was increasing. And I wanted to grow it so quickly within two years to a point where I would have X amount of money in the bank. I would save money from my day job to have X amount of money in my personal bank savings. Um, and then I would get our monthly turnover to a certain point where I felt comfortable in what my bottom line profit would be to be able to, for myself and Katie, my wife, to quit our day jobs, but still have a lot of caveats in place and buffers and safety nets. And I'm always quite a methodical person that I won't go gung ho into anything. I will sit back. My personality type is 
is a cross between sort of an actor and a thinker in, in the sort of HR term. So an actor is very much like, I'm excellent, I know I'm good, I've got a, got a big ego, I know I can produce results and I'm better than anyone else at anything. But, I'm very, but where that goes wrong is that kind of person can go gung-ho into things and really F things up. Whereas I've got the thinker personality is about 40% of my personality, which is, yes, I've got those traits, but then I'll step back behind the scenes and think about things and, and work out the analytics behind things of, right, what is, what's the worst case scenario? How much money do I need? How um, much money can I spend on marketing? So what we did was within that sort of month six all the way through to month 24 when we quit our jobs was I made the sort of decision that I wanted to keep a certain amount of money within the business, but I wanted to invest 40, 50% of what I was making back into the business in terms of marketing and driving this company forward so I could quit as soon as possible my day job because I was so unhappy. So I ran it as a side hustle in essence, and a lot of people do this, but where a lot of people fail on the side hustle is they let their day job take over. I took my foot off the gas in my day job, I did enough to keep it ticking over, and I put a lot of my time and effort and energy into the um, into the, the side hustle because I wanted to turn that side hustle into my main job. So, you know, two years hit three months ago, um, and that's when we, we quit our day jobs. And, you know, it was funny because back, um, you know, at the beginning, we were like, oh, if we can sell 10 pairs of glasses a day, that's the time to quit. Um, and we got to that 10 very quickly, and then we're like, oh, it's not enough, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit more. So maybe we were a bit cautious, but we got to this point where a couple of months ago, we were like, right, this is it, and we haven't looked back since, so... So I'm interested in the idea of, you know, as a having worked in HR, you know, you've got this awareness of yourself in terms of how you work and the best way to use your machine in this new endeavor. And it, yeah. you can make calculated guesses on how to invest your energy based on what your strengths are. Yes. For someone who, it's a really, it's, it's a really great secret uh, skill to have, or you know, it's a it's a great um, X Men superpower to have. Um, <laughs> The for someone who wants to know how they work better, are there any good books or avenues or tests that someone can do to go? Oh, that's that's how I work. It's probably good that I use my own use my energy in this way based on how I operate. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the books that was was massively eye opening for me about six months into working and um, on my side hustle was a four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that. Um, and anything by Tim is, is fantastic. And, you know, the, the amount of advice in there, you know, I, I found that about 70% of it I was already doing, which re- really is why the book resonated to me, because I was like, wow, I'm doing, I feel like I'm doing things right. It was that sort of um, reassurance that everything was right. But there were other things in there about what was, you know, how to, I guess, how to move your business forward and, and how to free up time and things like that. And I think what, what a lot of people get, cut up about in starting where they go wrong in a startup is they're trying to do everything themselves when they might not necessarily be necessarily be good at everything and I think it's good to get a broad idea of how a business is run and, and dabble in it all but I found out very quickly that I simply could not do the paid advertising side of things so I outsourced it I found I interviewed a few marketing agencies and I outsourced it for a small cost I found that I couldn't create websites very well that were very user-friendly. So I went on Airtasker and I found someone that could develop a website for me cheap, but it looked absolutely insane. Um, it looks so, so good. Um, in that, that you've just, you like 
the work that you saw that the Airtasker could do, so you knew that you were interested in that yeah. style and you had the chops, or she had the chops, and then you, so you were able to sort of allot the funds in a clever way to get yes. the biggest bang for buck. Exactly that, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And I thought to myself, you know, what, what is my time worth in trying to learn how to do a website as opposed to paying someone $1,000 to do a, a, a website with all the bells and whistles, with, you know, amazing sort of routes to, to get people to convert? Or is, you know, that would take me, say, 40 hours or, or something like that to learn and another 40 hours to produce. And then you start adding it up and you're like, wow, this is going to cost me like 10 bucks an hour to outsource this. Free up my time to then do what I do best, which is sell this product and educate people on this product. So anything that comes into the business now that gets in the way of me marketing and selling and educating people on my product, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look at it. Can I do it? Is it going to impact in, in this area over here? And if it does, I will look at ways to outsource it or to a point now where we've, we've hired our first employee because we've, we've got you know, things like customer service are taking up all a lot of my time. Ordering products are now taking up a lot of my time. So I need to outsource that completely. Um, my wife, Katie, is incredibly creative. So she's formed the creative director role within the company where she's basically looking at our branding and how we're perceived by the, the external market. And something that I don't want to be doing, I, that's not my strength. My strength is education, science, sales side of things. So it was really looking at where I could outsource things because what happens with entrepreneurs is if you're spending 10% of your time selling, 10% of your time doing a website, 10% of your time doing the branding, 10% doing something else, you're going to end up spinning your wheels. And I think that you need to look at yourself critically and go, where are my strengths? If someone turns around and says it's in the same as what, you know, what I'm saying my strengths are, then outsource that creative and marketing side. If, for instance, you're saying you're the opposite to me and you're really creative and you can make, you know, you're visually you know, you can make things look visually amazing, you can brand, you can, you can market well in terms of, you know, putting together creatives and copy, then do that side, but then look for maybe affiliates um, that can, you can pay a commission to that can sell your product if you can't sell it yourself or educate people on it. So it's really looking at yourself critically and going, where are my strengths and where do they lie? Be honest with yourself and then focus on that area and look where you can to outsource and I know that it's not possible in the very beginning because you want to keep costs low and it's fine then to dabble in everything just to get you know I got myself a real basic website up and it worked because I I sent people there but I knew as I grew and got into some of these bigger influencers and and the company grew people expected a, a much much fancier website so then at that point I could take some of the money and go right let's improve that area um, or let's improve this area right the the Facebook ads Run, running at the moment are, are okay, but we need someone to come in and look at the, the creatives and the copy of this. So I get Katie in to be like, can you look at this and work with the marketing team to get this right? So it's really sort of directing and outsourcing a lot of things. And it's in my day job when, I'm, when I was working in recruitment, I used to do something similar. Because I was a manager, I used to get a project in from my boss. <clears throat> and luckily my boss taught me this. They were like, I don't want you doing this, this job. I want you project managing this job. And go out and pull people in who are good. So I pull someone in, like say we put a tender together. I would pull someone in that's good at copy. I would pull someone in from finance who was good at finance. Someone that was really good with images. And then I set them all tasks. And then I would pull together the final document. So I learned a lot from my day job in doing that. So, you know, don't try and do things yourself. Pull on people's talents where you see those talents. 
and pull on people where you don't have those assets yourself, you don't have those talents, you don't have that mindset to be able to create. Because if we were all this 360 type person that could do everything, then there would be no sort of no different jobs. You know, everyone would be able to do everything. Everyone would build a website, sell, educate. So it's really just finding where your weaknesses and strengths lie, outsourcing those weaknesses and keeping your strengths, I think. Absolutely. It does pay to, to know enough about it sometimes just to know how best to, to source, the, 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 how best to outsource. Yeah. So if you have done a, you know, a, the most top line of YouTube tutorials on what a job requires, yeah. then it allows you to go, well, I, I know what I'm looking for now. I can go and find it. But it's such a, such a great idea. I really feel like your job, even though it was the the bane of your existence to at a point really equipped you for this stage in the journey so so perfectly because in a lot of lot of ways what an entrepreneur needs to do is really reflected in what an HR person project manager yeah. you know man, uh, managing all the different strengths and you know ha- harnessing the energies of all the people in your team and be able to read where the strengths lie so you can make the most of them yes um, when you were on that journey, did you was there ever a point at which you got cold feet or thought, oh, I'm, I've bitten off more than I can chew, or you felt like the leap had been, you know, too soon? No, I don't. I don't think so, um, because I'm very methodical and very cautious with things myself. Um, I think there were some points early on in the business when it wasn't my full-time job, when I thought maybe I have bitten off more than I can chew because it became, it it inundated my life because I had obviously 40 hours a week with my other job, another 40 hours a week or or more it seemed with, with Blue Blocks and it was like really taking over my life. But then, you know, I didn't regret that because then then it led to the decision to quit my, quit my day job. Um, I think when, when the spends got quite big with the company, like, you know, start off with a few hundred dollars in marketing, get it up to like, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a a month, you, you start to think, Wow, I'm I'm playing with some big numbers here now. Um Is that money you would have spent on online advertising? Yeah. Okay. So you think to yourself, like, wow, like this is this is big, but then you look at I guess I look at the way I've run the company and I've I'm never running my company at a loss or anywhere under, you know, a you know, 10 sort of times what we're spending. So, you know, there's always that money within within the business to fall back should anything go wrong. But, you know, I'm a firm believer as well. And a lot of, a lot of people with businesses say, you've got to learn from your mistakes. And I completely, I completely get that. And it's something that I think is, you know, mistakes are vital lessons within business. And I'm fortunate enough, touch wood so far, that I haven't made many big ones if 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 any and i think the way i've gone about that is i'm also a firm believer of learning from other people's mistakes so looking at some other companies that you know are in a similar space to me and looking well how have they grown how have they grown so quickly and learning from that but where have they failed along the lines what what can i do better i think that's with the dyson type thinking that's in me i'm like well what are they doing and how can i be better than it i don't want to be the same size as these guys you know that are selling you know mushroom coffee or you know you know red light panels or something like that i want to be bigger than them so what can i do that's that's better than their current strategy and when you start sort of digging around 
listening to podcasts probably similar to this, where you're actually listening to their founders talk, you can actually deduce their exact strategy for growth and how they grew if you really listen to it and write it down. And I took a couple of companies and I wrote down their exact growth strategies. I worked, reached out to people that had worked with them. I listened to pod, every podcast that they'd been on in terms of talking about their, their journey. And I figured out that they were doing two things that were, were very, very similar. So they were sponsoring podcasts. Okay? And I thought to myself, well, what can I do better than, than that? And I played around and, and sponsored a few podcasts, didn't really do very well. And it got to a point where I was like, well, what happens if my, my product is very difficult to understand? People just going, I'll buy these. People are going to look at them and go, this is way over my head. I have no idea. So I decided to improve their strategy by I would only sponsor a podcast if I was on that podcast. And, you know, it was hard because a lot of them are like, well, who are you? Like, you're going to come on and just pitch your products. I'm like, no, I'm going to come on and educate and maybe mention my products once. Um, so I, I got myself on and on some of these shows and um, started speaking about it and you know one thing led to another and, and sales increased and you know it's just but it's getting on the right ones because you know you can go on some that that don't work but you know that was sort of one thing that led me to level up on others strategies and I'm nowhere near the level of these companies yet but I'm like wow this is this is a small win this is a step where I've looked at a strategy and improved it and they're doing loads of other things like this is this podcast thing is probably like two or three percent of where we get our revenue it's very small for us um, but we looked at other areas that they were um, they were developing and, and what they were doing and how they went about it and you know we looked at those ideas and we, we put other without giving too much away um, you know we went and looked critically about how we could improve those things um, and put them into to place and I mean we were looking last year on our our stats of, of growth and when we started looking at how our competitors were working and, and critically tearing apart their strategy and rebuilding it to how we think it would be better. We achieved, I think it was just under 3,000% growth in 12 months in our business by looking at that. And I don't think it was a coincidence because it all started to peak as we were looking at their strategy and re-implementing their strategy just with a lot more finer tuning and, and making it better. So, you know, it's looking at things very differently to other entrepreneurs that maybe go, oh, I'm, I want to be, I want to mimic this company. It's like, no, we're going to look at them, look at their mistakes, tear their strategy apart, rebuild it and make it even better. So that really worked for us. So what would, does that look like um, finding um, peers in the marketplace and then just doing a big sort of analysis of all the ways in which they're investing their marketing spend, um, where they're placing ads? Yeah who they're partnering with, all that sort of thing, and then looking at all the ways in which you can em em embrace those techniques for yourself, but then potentially level them up in a way. Yeah, exactly that. So looking at every aspect of it, and it takes a long time to do, um, but it's something that I, was, I, I really enjoyed. And I managed to network with a lot of people within the same space that knew these brands, so I could subtly extract a lot of information from them on how they were interacting with, with people, how they were, I mean, it's, it's so easy these days to go on Google and look at, into these brands, like what, what are they doing? What publications are they getting in? Who are they speaking to? Who are the, um, what sort of areas in social media? And what are they doing on social media? But looking, not just looking at what they were doing, like, okay, so you look at another company and say, right, when they were one and a half years old, they were doing this. 
I, I don't care what they were doing at one and a half years old. I want to know what they're doing now. They're massive, and I want to mimic and then improve what they're doing now. I don't want to. I want to look back at their evolution and look. Well, where were where were the mistakes in this social media or Instagram sort of like publication or something like that? Or where was the mistakes they were making in their spends? And you can look back, like podcast, for instance. You can look back for five years on past episodes of what they're on, and you can actually see. Well, how long did they run? adverts with this podcast for and you look back and you go oh this one they ran six weeks and never came back wonder why this one they ran and three years later they're still running with it i wonder why let's have a look at that a little bit more and then you start looking into that and looking into the reasons why and reaching out to people like why why did you why did this brand not work with you anymore oh yeah we you know we we didn't sell anything for them or this happened or people our audience weren't accepted um, weren't sort of resonating to this product and there's loads of other metrics that go into it but really sort of taking a deep dive into why they failed on specific in specific areas but also looking at why did they evolve in their social media side of things like you know were they doing giveaways at the beginning and they're only doing giveaways now why are they doing giveaways is it for brand awareness is it to bring more followers into their their brand who are they partnering with um are they partnering with similar brands smaller brands bigger brands like really just critically looking at I guess each aspect of how um, how they've grown and, and basically how they operate their company. Um, you know, another great tip as well that we did was we signed up to all of our competitors' mailing lists. Let's see what they're sending out. You know, and oh, that that's good. How can we improve that? They're sending this out. They're, they're, this this company's doing so many sales. Like that's not what we want to be doing. You know, and like this brand, we love this brand because they're they're sending out lots of education and you know they seem to be quite big in the market. So looking at what the, I guess, the smaller brands were doing with their mailing list as opposed to some of these juggernauts and seeing like, well, what's the difference here? And you can clearly see it. When you subscribe to these mailing lists, you can clearly see the difference into how a big company operates or, or a perceived big company versus some of these sort of smaller, maybe they're big in a certain niche like biohacking operate. It's very, very different. Um, and then you just got to align your goals. Like, do you want to be this niche provider to one set of people or do you want to take over the world and be the biggest company in in your field and if it's the um if it's the latter then you need to look at the big companies if it's the former then just look how the small companies are doing and and you don't need to stress and just like yeah send out a few emails sell a few products and yeah if you're happy doing that brilliant if you want to earn the serious money you need to look at how these big players are operating within your space so you've got to make it you know relevant to your brand and the and you know the space that you're in i mean i chose two companies to follow that and i won't mention who they are that were in the same space as me but had products that were completely different they were they weren't another blue light glasses company i don't want that i don't want to follow their paths i want to do it differently so i just took two companies that were within the, the sort of health wellness and nutrition space and i studied them because i liked what their brand was about i liked what they were doing i liked how quickly they'd grown um, and the perception to me was they were a very big company. Um, and I analysed them and implemented, improved their strategies and put it into our business. Did you, um, uh, were there, did you find brands that were around the same size, uh, the same uh, age as yours? Or ha- had they been around for a bit longer? A bit longer, yeah. So I looked at companies that have been around for about seven or eight years, um, when my company was about one, one and a half years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to pick brands, you know, that have been around for 20 or 30 years because they're just too far apart. Like they've been around for for too long. Um, 
I wanted a company that had started up relatively quickly, grown quickly, um, and become leaders within their own niche very quickly, like from the product they were offering. Um, and yeah, so I went and researched that. So I didn't want to like, you know, I'm trying to think of other wellness brands now. I can't really think of any, but like, you know, say you chose like vitamin water or something like that. Been around for like 15, 15 years or so. Um, didn't interest me. I wanted to pick a brand that was in my space, but had, you know, that I wasn't too far behind in terms of years, but they weren't too close in terms of years because, you know, ultimately I want my company within three years of operating to be pretty much where they are now seven years after operating. And I don't want to, you know, if I go after a company that's like 20 years in the making, they're going to be turning over just ridiculous amounts of money and it's not going to be possible. It's too far away at the moment. But once I've overtaken those companies, then I will look for brands that have been around longer and be like, right, now I've, you know, now my company's turning over, you know, after, say, after seven years, now my company's turning over 100 million. Right, how do I get it to a billion? And then I'll look at those companies and then go like, right, now I need to go after that. I think you need to break it down. If you're looking at Uber now or you're looking at Apple and you've got a startup that's been around for a few months or a couple of years, you're just too far apart. You've got to look at those that are not too close around you, but just far enough ahead that you're like, I can see you in the distance and I'm coming for you. Yeah, that, the big brother or big sister you know, yeah. in the distance that, you, that you're gunning for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because so much, I, I feel like looking at your Insta account, there's a, it, you really, I got the feeling even before understanding exactly how the product worked, that it fit into the world of biohacking alongside the Tim Ferriss's and the Aubrey Marcus's and the yeah. Joe Rogan's and all the, 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 which has sort of come up in line with podcasting, of which there are so many product niches filled and it sort of makes sense you, you is it mark strong that you partnered with uh, who's the gentleman he's an influencer who's on your he's a wellness meditation guy no maybe it's not mark strong um he's a gentleman on your instagram page who is wearing the the, the glasses and he's a meditation coach and uh um, biohacking uh, oh, got quite a few leader. yeah well i was about to say is this, are these well any, every time luke story have, luke story yeah. that's it sorry yeah. so you have um, when you've been able to collaborate with these these sort of thought leaders in that wellness space, was that um, did you anchor the product to lifestyle and wellness uni- uh, biohacking universe specifically? Because it sort of you could almost pitch it in so many different yes, areas. You can, yeah. So that's um, that's another interesting sort of facet and, and thought process behind our growth. We we looked within where can we get our quickest wins and where will where is the audience that will understand this product without too much education and it was biohacking so we reached out to the top biohackers within that space and and got our product in front of them didn't need much explaining you gave them the studies and they were like wow this is incredible but then as the business evolves this is what i was getting at earlier like if i wanted to stay in that biohacking space i could make a good living and i'd be happy there you know people would buy the glasses there's always people feeding into that sort of pool of people in that biohacking space as they learn about the subject from people like Luke Story Melissa I guess to a certain degree as as well but what we wanted to do was we were like wow we've we've really conquered that market we've got the top influencers in it now talking about our product it's kind of running itself that plate's spinning so what's next like and then we looked at other areas that we could go into within that sort of overall health wellness and alternative health space and when you look at light, it affects everyone. So this is the, the, the 
sort of positive side of the business is that it can go in anything. You can go, right, I'm going to go after the office workers, the banks, I'm going to go after the IT, the gamers, I'm going to go after the wellness, um, the meditators, the yoga, like the, the vegans, the carnivores, like everyone wants this. You know, they, these are people that are thinking critically about things, the, you know, the fashion side of things, you know, catwalk models, for instance, like and all this, they need their beauty sleep. Um, you know, women that, you know, have hormonal issues, people that have anxiety, like, it's, it's endless. So it's really sort Medical of... Medical shift workers, anyone... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Everyone's exposed to artificial light. So it's really just looking at what niches we want to attack. And, um, you know, a lot of them sort of blend quite nicely in as well. So there's like, you know, if you sort of grabbed a load of circles and wrote biohacking, shift work, shift workers, wellness, yoga, carnivore, vegan, all those circles would overlap each other. They would all have fingers in various pies within those areas so each niche kind of took us then into the next one and then we're like oh you know just just for argument's sake like you know this isn't the direction we went in but um you would have the biohackers then you'd have the keto dieters that would understand the biohackers then you go into that and go like okay right you've maxed that out oh carnivore dieters What's the opposite to them? Oh, uh, vegans. And max, it, max it out because you've targeted them targeted the individually. Yes. You max them out. You go in there and you take each niche and become like, right, we want everyone who follows a carnivore diet to understand what blue blockers are. All the top influencers, you identify, say, 5, 10, 20, however many it may be, get them endorsing your product. And then they are then ultimately spinning that plate for you, selling that product to their community. Because... When you go into a specific community, they're going to... So say you go into the carnival community, they're not going to listen to me like as much as they're going to listen to, you know, Mr. Carnivore, who's been, you know, who they're following and aspire to and everything he says, they're like, oh my God, I need to go and do this. Same as Mr. Vegan, you know, like everything that he says, that's the guru within that space is saying, if he turns or she turns around and says, wow, blue light glasses are the great to help you sleep you know diet's only part of the equation his community or her community will listen to them more than they listen to me so it's really giving this product and empowering people to educate their specific communities and then going right that plate's spinning it's maxed out leave them there maybe drop in every now and again see how it's going keep it spinning but then you move on to the next one and, and just sort of take each one individually and that's what's seen us sort of mushroom quite quickly so it's such a I mean, one of the best things about this podcast, besides talking about this area of emancipation from, I, mean, I feel like, you know, untapped passion is one of the greatest sort of unrealized energy sources yeah. in the world. And uh, once people are really aligned with their passions, they, they, it really just does make them, you know, an open channel to do such great work. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's always such a mini masterclass and, you know, how people do market themselves and and. and think so methodically about these things I think yeah. it's so easy for those who have an aspiration to enter the space to look at people who are doing really well and all the ways in which they're nailing it to think oh god I don't even know where to begin or yeah. what magical formula do they innately understand but actually the best thing about this conversation is it is a process mm-hmm. it's a method yep. it can be followed it, you can study you can and and everything almost everything you've suggested is so available to anyone who wants to do their own version of that absolutely because like with podcasts like with you know the way in which people share so much information in social all you need to do is know 
how to where to to look. Yeah. Um, and you can peel back the layers of, you know, very detailed, expensive media strategies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's that's the thing that, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It's available to anyone that wants to do it, but it all comes down to mindset and a lot of people don't have the mindset to be able to want to do it. They look at excuses going like, yeah, but that's going to take me months and years to do. And yeah, it will. It will take you and it's, I'm still doing it and I'm still learning from it. Um, but you've got to get your headspace right to want it and to put in the hard work to do it. And also, you know, have a clear mind where you know what you're you know, you, you know what steps you need to take. You're not going to worry about the, the setbacks and the knocks that you're inevitably going to get on the way. Um, and that's why, you know, meditation, manifestation is such a core part of my day. Like, I, I can't start my day unless I've cleared my mind because I've got so much chatter in it that I get nothing done. So I've got to clear that mind. I've got to meditate. I've got to work out. I've got to then set myself for the day to be able to be, right, everything's clear now. This is what I need to do. Um, you know, and, and gr- practicing gratitude is a huge thing as well in the in business. You know, there's you get so much, so many issues with you know maybe suppliers, maybe customers from time to time that can create sort of a negative mindset that you need to sit down and be like, yeah, I've got got to get the the gratitude out and be grateful for things as well to to offset that. So it's all a mindset. I think that you know some of these things that I've done, I don't think is, is rocket science. It's available to everyone, but it's really down to the individual to be like, is my mindset right? Am I going to think of excuses um, to not do this? Or am I going to hit this hard and, and do this, you know, in, in the way that, you know, I've described or, or many other entrepreneurs have, I guess, described? What are your not negotiables in terms of how you structure your day? Yeah. Are there any, um, uh, you know, where does working out fit in? Where does meditation fit in? Where does practicing gratitude and reflection and all those things and that the way in which the system is designed uh, in in the must-haves. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 the thing. I think when you're running a company and, and a startup that's a growing very aggressively and fast at the moment, um, you've got to take steps to add, I guess, discipline and structure to your day. Otherwise, you are going to fail fail very very quickly. Um, so the, the big non-negotiables for me is I watch every sunrise, regardless of the weather. I'm out in the morning watching that sunrise for at least 20, 25 minutes. No phone, nothing. I'm out there just in my shorts watching that sunrise. The reason I do that is I get hit. This is all light management, okay? So I get hit with dopamine, which is the, I guess, reward system in the brain that's like, wow, I feel great. I feel amazing. My serotonin levels will increase rapidly, which is really another feel-good neurotransmitter that's making me feel like, yeah, I've got this, I've got this. Um, music is big and non-negotiable for me as well. And Katie will vouch for this, that I play specific songs over and over again. And I play those specific songs because of the way they make me feel. They pump me up. Um, and some of them might be, you know, depending on how I feel, some of them might be, you know, relaxing because I need to just sort of be soothed. Some might be quite housey because I, I, I just need to be get a bit more speed. And some may be, like hip hop where it's like you know a little bit more aggressive but I just feel like right I need a bit of aggression today it depends on how I perceive my day to be will go because I know ultimately what I need to do varies day to day so that's a non-negotiable always have music always when I'm in the shower Um, working out is big for me as well so I need that as a stress reliever as as well Um, that's a non-negotiable I'm in the gym four or five times a week but if I'm not in the gym then I'm I'm out 
um, walking or um, doing some form of exercise. Meditation is a non-negotiable for me. It has to happen, otherwise my mind will just explode. There's just too much going around in it, which uh, ultimately they're all fantastic things, but I need to channel that. Gratitude, again, non-negotiable, has to be written down, um, and things I'll let go of as well. So maybe somebody, some supplier has, has given two days delay on getting me our oh, Blue Blocks cases, and I haven't got any left, and I'm just like, oh, I just want to literally kill someone, and I'm just like, I've got to let go of that. Like, it's all good. It's not the end of the world. The business is going to function. People have to wait an extra day. Who cares? It's fine. Um, Probably shouldn't commit murder over the board. No, I won't kill anyone. It's all good, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a figure of, figure of speech. Um, and, and there's a lot of other things as well that are non-negotiable in my life, like healthy food. Um, you know, I typically have one meal a week where I'll eat what I want, and it's typically some filthy pizza or a burger or something, which, you know, is great and I think is needed. But, you know, for my mind to function, I need to have healthy fuel within my body. And, you know, for people that are listening to this, healthy fuel to them might mean a balanced diet. It might mean a vegan diet. It might mean a carnivore diet. It's whatever it means to that person to create the right, I guess, um, energies for them to be able to tackle their day and you know you, you don't want to be eating junk food because you will not have the energy and the hormones that you need to be able to be driven and drive your business forward you're going to want to sit in front of the couch and watch tv it's just it's what that food does to you um, so I think they're probably the main ones for me that are non-negotiables and people are probably listening going, does he actually do any work in a day with all this? But I'm up very early. The sun rises at 5 a.m. So, you know, I've typically done all of these things by about 8 a.m. before people have probably even got to work doing their nine to five. But it's that, what a joy in terms of how to structure a life in terms of giving yourself three hours a day, you know, or I'm sure by the time all of the other mandatories of day to day life take place it might whittle it down and be a little bit less than that but mm. I would even say to people you know if you want to transform your life give yourself an hour a day and what you would need to compromise on that might just be you know some TV show that you're you know yeah. watching at the end of the day because you're exhausted and burnt out well why not go to bed an hour earlier wake up an hour earlier and find something to, to do with that energy that you're mm. really proud of that'll be a, an investment of that energy so that it's, it's yeah. going to give you a bit bigger return for what, than what you're putting in. Yeah. Um, over the, for those who are discombobulated by that list of, <laughs> of things, I mean, I agree with all of them and I have my own version of all those things, but for me it was a process of over time, I, through listening to podcasts and reading certain books or even just having a chat, because I learn everything from conversation, I think, yeah. um, I slowly through, through trial and error found a process that works for me and it, it I'd, might be worth describing how or even just mentioning how long it took you to get to that process because some people yeah. might be doing the opposite of everything you've just suggested and think well fuck that guy because I you know that's yeah. so hard but I'm sure it didn't come overnight right yeah exactly and you know what the guy that's doing the complete opposite to me I would say if it's working for you keep doing it I, I don't want people to to listen to this and be like okay this guy runs a su- successful company he's grown it very quickly I need to do exactly what he, he's done or I need to operate and do my meditation and do this, that and the other and be exactly like him because it just doesn't work. Every, every entrepreneur, or, or let's, let me rephrase, I guess 80% of entrepreneurs out there is a study I've, I've well, a study, I guess a, a stat that I've seen from Tim Ferriss 
all have very similar traits and those traits are the ones that I've described. So, but there are 20% out there that don't do those things or do a variation of those things. So it's finding what works for you. You know, if you're a very calm and parasympathetic type person that, you know, has a lot, can relax very easy and is, is, you know, very chilled out, you don't want to be meditating. You know, you've already got that. Whatever you're doing, whether it be reading or listening to music, you've already got that side of you. So maybe you need to get that sympathetic side of things um, going where you're going out and hitting that gym hard or you're raising your cortisol levels, doing something that's a bit more, you know, going to pep you up a little bit more. So you've really got to look at your personality types and um, then, I guess, tailor what works for you in terms of what's going to motivate you, what's going to ground you, um, what's going to keep you healthy. And this is why it's, yeah, these are principles in essence, um, but people need to look at them from their own point of view and then implement them to best fit, I guess, their personality and their goals in, in their business. And trial and error, you know, I imagine that in the process of working out what worked for you, there's probably, you just try things on. And yeah. I'd say for anyone listening to this, looking at where to, how to embrace any of them, give yourself lowest barrier to entry, find the easiest yep. way to embrace even one of these ideas at a time, Correct. try it for two to four weeks, yep. and just see see what works. Exactly. And then slowly, like building blocks, build your process up. And the best thing about what you've described is once you start finding your own rhythm for the things that do work for you, they become the new benchmark, and you can't actually revert to a previous way of doing it. So yep. it's not like you have to adding 20 things that are brand new is is difficult, but implementing one thing at a time, all of a sudden having this new time, bedtime and a new getting up time, then you're not even thinking about that anymore. That's just what, that's just life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. It did take, it took a good like 18 months to get into the routine that I'm in. And, um, you know, you're right. It's one thing at a time. It's noticing what the issue is. So for instance, I used to get so stressed with the business and then Katie was like saying to me, you, you need to, you know, assess that parasympathetic side, which means you, you never relax. Like, find something you want to relax, like meditation, manifestation, reading, listening to music. Find something that you can resonate to activate that side. And I did, and I felt better. And I became more productive. I could channel things a lot better. So, you know, it's really looking at areas of your life and being like, what could I improve? And then looking at, I guess, ways to improve it. Um, you know, like we, like we just said on the parasympathetic side, it doesn't have to be meditation. It can be reading. It can be walking. It can be just something that isn't thinking hardcore about your business, you know. Um, so it's really, yeah, taking it each a step at a time and not trying to... Because if you implement, say you want to match what I do and you're doing none of it right now and you want to put, implement it all, you're just going to fail because it's just too much stuff and you'll just be like, God, sod this. I can't be bothered. Like, it's just, it's too hard. Whereas just take little bits, like maybe it's just watching the sunrise every morning. Maybe it's going to bed an hour earlier, like you said, or getting up an hour earlier. Um, and then once that becomes habit, then add something else in to create a, a more rounded and, and more, you know, more rounded entrepreneur and, and, you know, set yourself up for success by adding these things in slowly and building things up. You know, the saying goes that Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think this applies, you know, that adage applies perfectly to this. I really wish we had another mic on Katie this the whole time because <laughs> Katie is uh, your partner. She's been here and and been referenced, and I would love to, you know, have just even sometimes it's even great to know, have the perspective of, of a partner's experience of this because the reason why a lot of people don't 
Let's see, if I sit next to Katie, maybe yeah. we can... Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Great. Well, this is the thing, because I, 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 the reason why I think a lot of people don't ex- take a leap into this space is because they don't want to let the team down. They don't want to let their partner down. They don't want to rock the boat too much. There are too many systems riding on maintaining the status quo. What um, did, uh, did Andy have a sympathetic running mate in his trajectory for the entire duration of the of the journey? Or is it something that you've come around to over time? Or were you the one saying, get out of that job, babe, you're miserable? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I was probably more eager for us to quit our day job than he was. Like Andy said, it's quite methodical. He's a thinker, whereas I'm more of a, I'm very much a dreamer. I'm the creative one, the dreamer. I'm like, let's just do it. Let's just get there. And he's like, well, in six months' time. Um, and in fact, um, when it came to us resigning, I think you set a date that was actually in 2020. Um, and I was pushing for it to be sooner. I was like, no, why? Why are we waiting? So, yeah, absolutely, I fully support it. And I think I do sort of push him sometimes to make the things happen sooner. For someone who is looking to take the leap and quit their day job and they need to cushion the blow for a partner that might not be on the same journey because if you know it's, it's, it's hard if say for example you were all of a sudden wanting to become vegan and your partner is all of a sudden well I'm not cooking two meals you know <laughs> this is to change the life when when you don't you're not both wanting the same thing is, is challenging but could you think of of anything that would make that process easier when you are in a relationship with someone and someone's looking to quit the day job and someone else isn't yeah, I guess what's worked quite well for us is, well, obviously communication is key. You have to communicate with one another, but separate the tasks. Because if you are both on different trajectories and, you know, one of you was wanting to do one thing and the other person's wanting to do something different, it can be quite overwhelming. Um, so separate your tasks. So what Andy and I do quite well in our house is, you know, we have certain things in the household that we do that are my things and certain things that are his things. And then it frees up your time to focus on the, the passions that you want to pursue. So Andy is the cook in our household and I'm the cleaner. Whereas if we both did a bit of the cooking and we both did a bit of cleaning, there wouldn't have been time for our passions. So I think definitely communicating, divvying up things so that you have your set areas that you focus on. And then make time to come together. Because obviously if you are going off on different paths, you can sort of drift apart a little bit then. So make the time to come together as well, whether it's going for a walk, going to the gym, or or doing something you love together um, to show you support. I think support is key. When um, you're part of Blue Blocks now, Mm. what day job did you quit? I was actually in recruitment. I really? worked at the same business as Andy. Yeah, same company. Yeah, same company. Right. It's how we met ten years ago in in recruitment. So we were both in the same business. Yeah, it's just we had very different mindsets. So he was very much had his career and had worked up. I kind of plodded. Um, like Andy's alluded to, I'm more of the creative mind, and I was very much stuck. There was there was no career for me there. I couldn't go any further. I didn't have those managerial director um, sort of characteristics within that HR environment I'm definitely more of a, a creative passionate soul in that respect so um, yeah it was it was a blessing when this happened and I could leave that and focus on what I enjoy so for, for both of you guys I'd love to um, end by asking people if I was to speak to you in a year's time and I were to check in and you were to have nailed or be on the process of in the process of wrapping up something that's just a, a dream or a, something you're focusing on the beginning of now, 
what would that be ideally? I think it would be probably to upgrade where we live. I think we want ocean views and we want this like amazing house by the sea. Um, and one of our um, little tips to, to do that is we obviously try and manifest that within our meditations. But we also, when we do our exercise, we go out and walk around these houses that we, or around by these streets that we love and, and envisage ourselves being in them. So I think, you know, in the next year to be, you know, in our dream home is, is something that we really want to aspire to. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, if I guess say. I'd like to travel. I mean, just this trip in itself is probably the first trip we've made since being full-time in our business. And the people we've met just in the space of a few days, I just want to travel more, meet more people, and just the connections you make. And, yeah, all walks of life, all different places you see, all the different people that live there. It's, it's actually been a, a really good trip yeah. for that. And the connections and friendships you make. Um, offline you know a lot of what we do is online so it's nice to get out there and meet people face to face and I just want to travel more that's great well I I am so inspired by everything you guys have shared so thank you so much and uh, I yeah I can't wait to come visit you by the sea in Perth please do (laughs) please do you're welcome anytime honestly oh great thank you guys thank you so much oh great